right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Busted Header Podcast. This is a round two of our kind of draft roundup here as we go through some of the top prospects in the draft, um, broken down into segments to kind of make it a little bit easier to kind of compare and contrast between the similar players. So uh, today's group is going to be called, as Jake put it, the Dynamic Duos, Doses, and Twos. Um, I, so the prospects look, are Okay, the pun doesn't really work and i'm sorry <laughs> i will do better next time <laughs> this is a lie i've already come up with the puns for next time yeah, and they're both shit it's actually worse this is i would say the highlight of the three puns <laughs> that i've worse. seen so far on this on this read down uh so the players we're looking at today are going to be the two guards of moses moody james uh boon i Boop-night? i put it in the thingy it says it says dynamic duos, oh, doses, and twos. <laughs> literally dash me Moses Moody, James Book Knight, in parentheses, book dash knight at Webby. And then Keon I didn't Johnson, read that far. Parentheses, Keon Johnson. Just in case you fucked <laughs> yeah, that Ke- up. The Keon Johnson I had, Moses Moody I had, James Book Knight. I had heard it too. That's the worst part. I, I know. Like, now that I know I, you'd heard now it. Now that I've said it, I know it. <laughs> I just couldn't. It just I see it in text and I just get frozen up. <laughs> um, but anyway, so these are a lot of the shooting guards that could be paired alongside Killian if the Pistons kind of drop in the draft, especially, or if they make a trade down. Um, so we felt like it'd be very important to cover them as they could be pretty useful with the team that we kind of have and kind of the roster deficiencies. So uh, before we get into that, um, Jake, do we have any news with the Pistons? Uh, they hired some new assistants. I don't know anything about their new assistants. Uh, Sean Sweeney, it sounds like, is the one current assistant that'll be back. Um, I have nothing to say. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I think, I think we can say that like the the previous set of guys did all right. Like, we're all pretty happy with prospect development and all that. So, uh, yeah, hopefully these guys do as yeah. good a job. Uh, I don't know how much of like the development staff is changing over versus just like the, I mean, there's like the three like guys who get to be on the bench assistants. And I think that's mostly what's changing around. I don't know how much of the like uh day-to-day training staff is uh, flipping around, but we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. We don't know what I they say, do. I mean, uh, I, I wait for James <laughs> Edwards to tell me what they do every day. That's, that's basically how this works. So I mean, pretty much with any assistant coach, I kind of say if there's good development coming from the players, I kind of say that that's a good assistant coaching staff because other than that, I mean, they probably do some X's and O's and other stuff, but it's kind of hard to tell if you're not there for the day-to-day operation. Yeah, I mean, so. like, they, they're important people. Like, the your, your assistant coach, you know, usually there's, like, one guy who's in charge of, like, timeouts and, you know, keeping charge of the clock and rotations and, like, obviously very important things. You know, they handle a lot of the details for the head coach to just sit there and, and, you know, think about stuff during the game. Like, but we don't, we don't know. It really doesn't impact us. For the most part, it's really still an extension of the head coach. So, I mean, nobody should expect big changes with anything. So, yeah. And I mean, I just got to say, so it's important that we covered, of course, the Pistons news of the day. The big coaching news that I care about as a part-time Wizards fans (laughs) is that the Wizards have finally parted ways with Scott Brooks. Which feels to me like Scott Brooks wanted money and they didn't want to pay him. The, the, <laughs> so he was up for a contract extension. Uh, who was the guy that... Whitman. I love that they went from Randy Whitman to basically yeah. Randy Whitman. 
Randy Whitman 2.0. They, they it just, was They just brutal. like got more handsome Randy Whitman, and that's all they figured out. And it was like, oh, no, oh, he's still the same guy he was in OKC. Not good at this. Yeah, going to Wizards games was so brutal because those rotations he had were just awful. And especially in the year, like you could tell how great of a player Gafford, like how talented he is. And we still had Alex Len starting and playing like 20 minutes. And it just, you want to claw your eyes out. So, Alex, Alex Len is like a top five coach. unwatchable basketball player. It's brutal. Like he, but he, he shut down Sabonis. That's all I can say. Without fouling. <laughs> he shut down Sabonis because he fouled the shit out of him constantly. Oh, he did. Like, there's just nothing <laughs> appealing about uh, the Alex Len experience. So, all right, you want to move on? The into exact the... opposite of the Robin Lopez experience. <laughs> you want... Hey, that's hookshot god Robin Lopez to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's my boy. Do you uh, right. want to move so, on? Yes. So we can start in. I'm going to draw a. Let's do Jane's book night because that's the well, name so, I looked so at first. I want to start with the the philosophical oh, nope. chunk there. The the musings. Okay. Because um, this is okay. something I want to kind of go go broad spectrum on for a minute because it's going to inform you know future pods as well. Um. And, and so a couple of these, these topics here, you know, what's the difference between someone who is actually a star and someone who's like just a good role player? And like, you're all, you should always be grading on the curve of like, what's a playoff caliber role player, you know, cause there, there's someone like Wayne Ellington is a, you know, an NBA shooting guard. Wayne Ellington is not, and probably never really should have been in a playoff rotation, like as a starting two. You know, even if he was like, you know, the the fifth option, he wasn't going to be there. And there's there's a difference between that. So, um, I'm I'm curious, what do you what do you look at when you're looking for like the things that elevate someone above, you know, that level? I mean, I would say there's a lot of players that can definitely fit into the kind of the category of like a playoff role player, like someone who can step up in the playoffs and help deliver. I mean, you see it all the time, especially you know in these playoff games, you see. People kind of come out of the woodwork and players that you don't usually see having a lot of success scoring the ball or just locking down some defensively kind of come out and show out for a couple weeks at the time. But the differences between a player like that and someone who's like a bona fide star is someone who can do it every single night. And it's, you know, it's a Tuesday night. You're playing in Utah. You got to go against, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And he's still coming out and bringing it and getting you in a position to win every single game. Whereas kind of that role player or, you know, a, a you know good starter, like they have their moments, they kind of go in and out. I would say like the, 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 the highest, the, the best like role player starter that you can get right now would be a Paul George. He can win you games, but he's not going to win you every game. He could show out and he can have a great game and he can look amazing, but he's not going to bring it every night. That, that's Which, harsh. I, I think that's harsh on Paul George. I mean... So, so to me, I would say that's the definition between my. You're a full bona fide star, and you're just like a really good starter, and kind of that. Well, and, and playoff so, caliber player. I guess maybe star was the wrong context to put this in because I'm thinking more like what's the difference between. I'm I'm struggling to find like the worst option for this, but like, you're a you know a, a decent wing and like a Jay Crowder. Like, what's the, what's the thing that makes Jay Crowder like someone that every like every team would love to just have a Jay Crowder on the team, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's like okay this is a guy except for LeBron apparently, <laughs> <laughs> but but like you know or like a Robert Horry right like he's not mm-hmm. a star 
but he does he plays the role he plays really well to the point where like yes i want him on the floor for me in a playoff series because you know this is a guy i know i trust to do his job and you still hit the the i think the the topic on the head which is consistency you know if you're a superstar Mm -hmm. or or a a star player you know you're consistently going to hit a very high floor and I think the, the secret to being a good role player is still being able to hit, you know, a high floor. You know, it's not as high as the stars, but, like, the floor of your performance shouldn't be, you know, all over the place, right? Can you stabilize yourself at, you know, it's not it's not do you average 12 points a game because you're scoring 4 and 20. You know, are you averaging 12 points a game because everyone knows you're going to hit three threes a game and that's just what it is? Um and, and so I, when I look at some of the guys we're going to talk about as, as you move further down the draft, it's important to ask, you know, is this guy someone who can come in and kind of plug and play, or is he eventually going to grow into a guy who can plug and play on a team and just do the job? Someone like Sadiq Bey is a great example, right? Sadiq Bey is someone you looked at and you're like, I know exactly what the floor of Sadiq Bey's performances are going to be. I I'm, I'm guarantee you he's going to stretch the floor. I guarantee you he's going to give me a compete level on defense. And then... You know, if they grow above that, great. Uh, mm-hmm. But you're looking for you. You always want to keep an eye out for players where they're at a significant risk of falling below, you know, that performance floor on a regular basis. Um, yeah, and uh, Kenny talking kind of reminded me of I want to say I had heard this on Raja Bell's podcast, um, but he he at the time had brought up a very good point about kind of you know, how important role players are and how difficult it is to be a role player in today's NBA. Because a lot of that, I mean, you could be like a guy who can come in, he can, you can get buckets, uh, but kind of going into an NBA team, you got to kind of find your role and find your fit. And with a lot of teams, that's hard. That's a lot harder to do than you'd think. Yes. Because there's a lot of, it's a lot of different uh, expectations from the coach, different, you know, players coming in different nights. Um, so a lot of that does boil down to the team and kind of the players you're used to playing with as well. So, I mean, a lot of players can kind of be in different roles depending on who they are as long as they have that mindset, which I think the most important thing when looking when you want to find a player who's going to be a playoff caliber role, role player is finding that mindset of someone who's going to be locked in and going to be, you know, ready to work every single day of the year to be ready for that chance to shine. Right, and it's, it's about, you know, do they showcase a process that's consistent? Right, you know, are they are they taking up a, a, a shooting platform that's the same every time? You know, are they making you know are they able are they making the same read? You know, you you catch it in the corner and there's a guy closing out to you. Are you making the read every time to like attack the the correct foot and everything, or are you just kind of reacting on the fly and you don't have a plan? You know, these are the things that as you grow into that kind of player, you should be stabilizing, um, in your consistency. And so I think the reason I wanted to talk about it this week is like we're going to talk about these three wings who all of them could have a high all, – all of them, I should say, do yeah. have a high ceiling. All of, the, all of these guys could be mm-hmm. like top three options on a good team. But it's also a question of – and something you have to ask yourself when you're drafting is can these guys be – you know, can they be Contavious Caldwell-Pope, right? Can, they, can this guy yeah. just come in here, you know – can he be there? How long is it going to take for this guy to be at that level? And if he gets better and it turns out that you drafted, you know, Donovan Mitchell when you thought you were drafting KCP, <laughs> like, great, that's awesome. 
but you what you don't want to do is draft Ben McElmore on accident and when you thought you were drafting KCP. You know, you don't... I do have a soft spot for Ben McLemore. That hurts. And I, I don't mean that to, hurts. like, throw that much shade on Ben McLemore, but, like, <laughs> I feel like calling someone Darren Hilliard would be too harsh. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, That's fair, I guess. So, one of the other, like, things I want to talk about here is, like, what we look for defensively from, like, this is... These, these guys are all pretty much, like, straight-up two guards. They're not really going to flex mm-hmm. too far up and down the wing. Yeah. Um, you know, so like there's a there's three or four different areas defensively, right? There's like your on ball, you know, stopping the guy in front of you defense. There's your your help yeah. rotations, your ability to dig down from the wing. You know, um, can you provide anything as a rim protector? Um, you know, do you have the athleticism to compete in transition? What do you, what's your big thing from shooting guards? Like, what do you look for at this position? Yeah, so I would say, I mean, when you're when you're kind of comparing defense for like a wing player, there's the way I look at it. There's a couple different levels. The first level is going to be your Kawhi Leonard, just lock down, put the claws on him, make it just impossible for whoever you're guarding to get anywhere into the paint. Which I know this is kind of more <laughs> vintage Kawhi at this point because he hasn't really shown that much of late. But that's kind of the the person that I always kind of envision as like that lockdown defender, at least when I've been growing up watching basketball who's just going to put the clamps on you and just kind of lock you down. That's the top end, and people can kind of fluctuate up to that, but very few people can be there all the time. The mid-level is kind of more what you would expect through your normal kind of 3 and D, where it these are kind of players you can play bigger than they really are. They can defend the drives, but they're still it's still just putting up an effort. They're not going to they're not going to completely shut you down. And then the next level under that, I would say would be like the kind of the hard effort kind of running around, getting off screens, you know, closing out, being in the right spot defensively, making the right rotations, making the right help defense, and being able to kind of pop back and forth. That baseline is a lot harder than I think a lot of people realize right. in today's NBA and something that a lot of players definitely don't get right early on. And some players just never get that, never just get that mental side of it down about be, knowing where to be, knowing, you know, what time to, like, you know, get your help rotation to be able to help without leaving your guy open for three, which is... Very difficult and also extremely important in today's NBA right. with the amount of focus there is on, you know, drive and kick and trying to find the open three-point shooter. Like, that's super important in today's NBA. And that's something that I think is, you know, something a lot of these, uh, you know, two guards that are going to be coming in the league. It's, it's going to be something that's going to be hard for them to comprehend on the defensive end, but also something that's very important for them to pick up sooner rather than later. So I would say that's kind of the baseline of what I want to look for is someone who, at least in college, looks like, they have an idea of what's going on. They can see, you know, they, they, there's a couple of times when they're hopping in front of like a passing lane or something like that where they're, you know, anticipating what's going to happen next. That's what I'm kind of looking for um, from many of these young prospects to kind of see how they're going to transition to the next level. It's just seeing the at least the hints of it in college that can hopefully translate into the NBA, just knowing where to be and kind of in, being ready for that anticipation that comes uh, playing against right. You know, NBA offenses. So, like, there's, to me, there's, like, three areas, you know, you kind of concentrate on, right? The head, the hands, and the feet. You know, do you have, as you said, you know, do you have the IQ to read plays, to understand where to be, to understand the timing of what to do? Um, You know, when it comes to, like, your hands, you know, do you generate smart deflections? You know, are you reaching because you don't know what to do on defense? This this is, (laughs) like, a really common thing you see, 
you know, guys like, I'm an athlete, I should be a good defender, and they start, like, reaching out and smacking guys, and they, they just get called for fouls. And they're like, what I do? I, you know, I, I, and I was like, dude, you just reach. You just smacked. Like, you don't have the composure to know when and where. You also don't have the coordination to get a hand on the ball instead of the arm. So watching what guys do with their hands, how they direct other players, um, you know, I kind of tie that into, like, do they understand how and when to be physical is, a, is another big thing. You know, do you know when yeah. you should be when you should be bumping other guys? Do you understand um, something to look for? Is like, do you understand how to play the refs? I mean, uh, you know me. I hate to <laughs> to bring up like the cheating and and you know the gamesmanship there, the but like, do you know when <laughs> to grab? You know, do you know when to hold this guy? Do you know how that logic works? And obviously, your feet. Do you have the ability to slide with guys? Do you have the ability to chase people down? Can you make the leap for a block, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Um, and then I think the last thing I wanted to talk about here is what do you think are the skills that like are most important for like someone who isn't like a the the number one guy? What do you think are skills that are really important to have, especially from like a wing, to like elevate your team? What do you can if you could like rank things from like best to worst as you come up with them? What do you what do you think are these skills? You really made a really broad question there. I what did. The, I did. Rank like, the this, skills? Is, this is one of those things, and, and I can go. I, mean, I can go first if you, if you're struggling. But this this is the thing you have to ask yourself as a scout, right? Is if mm-hmm. you come up with two or three guys that are all and, and like the three guys we're going to talk about today could go in the same range as each other. You, they're they're pretty interchangeable from a from a talent level standpoint. So now it's a question of how you view fit and how you value their different skills. So it's a question of, you know, what do you think is the thing that's going to elevate your team? What do you think is the things that are going to establish your floor? How do you value those things? You know, maybe, you know, somebody's skill as a cutter is something that you think is, you know, going to completely revolutionize your team. Maybe you think that's just not that big a deal and it's just, you know, a fun three points to add every few games. I would say if you're looking for kind of like the tiebreaker um, kind of skills, the first thing I always look at it's kind of like that basketball IQ. That's something that I feel like is very easy to pick up and very important, especially for someone on the wing who's going to be kind of rotating around a couple positions. Kind of, you, you got to know where to be when you're playing off the ball. You got to know when to make a cut, like you were talking about with like a backdoor cut. You got to know when to, you know, how to work around when you're drifting around the three point line from away from pick and roll. I would say the most important thing, more than anything else, is going to be kind of that, you know, that positioning and that that basketball IQ that only comes from. Just, I mean, it's something that like a spatial awareness a lot of people, is is what I might call it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just something that I think a lot of people assume. Like, oh, you can just learn that, you can just figure it out. But it's really something that I think comes natural for a lot of these players. They they just they understand where to be. They've looked at the offense. They know you know how the rotation. Is I, going I think to go. the biggest so think example of that for me is when you see guys who understand how to create a passing lane for someone, mm, especially yep. in the post. You know, like you'll have a post player who's looking for a passer. You know, and they're facing like the rim, and behind them is the guy in the corner, and he doesn't rotate up towards the break. And it's like you yeah. need to make yourself available. You need to create this lane. You know, you are responsible as the wing for being available. You know, you might be uncovered, you know, back in that corner, but if he can't see you, or if he has to turn into a double team in order to get the ball to you, that's your fault. You know, that that's yeah. that's a great that- example of what you're talking about. That like step and a half, two steps is the difference between like a wide open three 
and like a contested pass or a pass that doesn't get made right they don't see you know the guy that's open and, it, and it's and gonna be something your, that, you know your big man is gonna turn the ball over and get stripped and it's at you know it's your fault and it's it's gonna go down on the box scores yeah. him and every you know fans are gonna say oh he turned the ball over but no it's it's really you know your fault because you were you were available and you didn't mm-hmm. make that known what else what else you got I mean, that, I would say, is always the main thing is kind of the basketball IQ. <laughs> my second thing is kind of the exact opposite of that, which is that I really like the things that you can't you can't teach as well, which is more uh, more on the intangible end of the height, the speed, the strength, those kind of things that you can't, I mean, you can't teach somebody to be, you know, 6'6 with a 6'9 wingspan. Like, there's some things you just can't teach. And if someone is a smart basketball player but also has kind of the kind of the measurables that you want, like, that's... You can work out kind of, you can get a shooting form down. You can kind of teach them a couple more things. Those are the main things I look at is well, got to be. And so to make that a more <laughs> uh, like granular thing, then you're talking about impact in help defense, right? The ability to, to dig in off the wings, mm-hmm. the ability to, to provide coverage off the wings. You're talking about guys, you probably are looking for people who are better at slashing to the rim, right? People who are going to be natural yep. athletic finishers. Um I, th- I think my big answer to this, and the thing I, I've said for years, I think that, that secondary playmaking is the thing that just elevates a team from good to great every time. You know, if you mm-hmm. have a wing who understands how to make the pass, you know, you, you drive... <sighs> excuse me. You drive and kick to a wing, can they attack off the catch and then not just barf up a, a medium, you know, mediocre shot at the at the rim... Can they make the kick to the corner? Can they make the swing pass? Do they understand when to skip and when to swing? Um, you know, we look at like the great Spurs teams of like the the 2015, you know, the beautiful game Spurs, right? That wasn't necessarily a team of the most athletic players. It wasn't necessarily a team of the biggest players or um, or even like the craziest like skilled players, but every player on that team, knew how to pass, knew how to move into space, and then knew how to like catch and pass again. And eventually they got a shot that even their worst player couldn't screw up. Right? You know? Yeah. And so that's that's a big thing for me is knowing when to do that. Um another big one of those skills for me is uh impactful deflection generation. Are you able to dig down off the wing? Do you have good timing? Um the difference between somebody who makes like a tag and just like, you know, they, they drop two steps and put a hand on a guy to like stop a lob or something. And somebody who understands how to like get into a ball handler and force a gather and force a pickup at the wrong, a massive leap totally changes your defense um, from the wing position. Somebody who understands how to dig down onto a ball handler is revolutionary. And that's not something we necessarily talk about all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And then like, do you have more than one dribble in you? <laughs> you know, when we're talking about <laughs> wings, like that's really important. Can you put the ball on the floor more than once? Uh, you know, do you have a two dribble pull up? You know, things like that. But for for me, I, I just wanted to bring in here: passing elevates a team to a, to a ridiculous degree. Um, and I think that when I'm looking at players like the guys we're going to talk about today, that's one of the big things I look for: is which one of them is most likely going to be a good swing passer and a good ball mover. Yeah. I mean, that's something that is really a premium in today's NBA. So I feel like it's kind of a high, 
Like, I feel like you put some really high standards on something you expect out of... I mean, these guys are all going, like, late lottery picks. I think it's just not something that you'll realistically find in that area as much. But um, in terms of, like, kind of a two-guard as a whole, yeah, no, I agree. It's but, like, super where important. where would you have, like, a Patty Mills, right? Like, a Patty Mills isn't a guy that you would draft high. You know, in 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 a, in a draft, you're going to look at him and you're like, oh, he okay, he shoots, he's a relatively smart basketball player, um... You know, good compete level defensively, but he's not an impactful defender. He's not a great playmaker, yada, yada, yada. But then you look at him and you say, how has he been successful with with the Spurs for so long? Well, he makes the shots he's supposed to make, and he makes a bunch of shots he shouldn't make. And then yeah. he knows how to move That's the, the most ball, important thing. right? And, and part of that was, you know, playing with Popovich for so long. You know, I don't necessarily, I, I didn't scout him in, in uh college or high school or anything I, I don't know what he was like coming in but like that's that's the reason he's he was a major playoff piece for them right he was a huge part of their playoff success oh, it's yeah. just patty mills knows how to give the ball up relocate get the ball back give the ball up again after making a move and that you know that totally elevates an offense there were times where patty mills was basically the only scorer on the floor but because the spurs knew how to you know, move around him and move with him and find him an open shot, not just, you know, as part of a two-man action, but as an entire team, you know, that's that's huge. And so looking for guys mm-hmm. who, it, it takes a certain level of vision, and sometimes you see it, and sometimes it has to be coached into you after the fact. But, um, yeah, that's, I think it's a huge, huge factor. I also forgot the most important thing of Patty Mills' success in the NBA, which is his phenomenal accent. <laughs> You forget sometimes that he's Australian, and then he talks, you're like, oh, no, no, boy, no. crocky. Ben Qualiata never lets me forget he's Australian. Okay, that's fair. All right. Shall we go Are into the, the actual prospects? Into the meat and bones of the, of the podcast? Who do you want to do first? Well, I already said James Booknight a minute ago, <laughs> so let's go with him. Because um, he is the name that... Uh, I wouldn't say is the first name that I think of. Um, I'd say Moses Moody is kind of the, the first one I think of when it comes to this group. Um, but anytime we can talk about you know the best score on a UConn team, I mean, you got to talk about it. Sure. <laughs> they have a pretty good track record sure. <laughs> making the transition. Um, so Booknight is a six five. Is he a sophomore or junior? Sophomore. Sophomore. Um, about a six eight wingspan, about one ninety. He is going to be almost. It's going to be about twenty one going into the draft. So uh, a little bit older than kind of the other ones around him. Um, but he is really good as an off ball scorer. He put up pretty good uh, points per game. I think he averaged nineteen a game mm-hmm. on UConn this year when he was playing. I know he. Missed a lot of the year due to injury, um, that kind of, kind of put a damper on his season as a whole. Uh, but tell me a little bit about the James Booknight experience. So the injury is a good thing to bring up off the bat. Um, it was an elbow injury, and so one of the things that you have to think about with Booknight is that he took a good volume of threes. He took five threes a game, uh, but only mm-hmm. at about thirty percent, which sounds bad. But when you think about having an elbow injury and also like he was the dude for a team that was not great around him um they weren't like terrible but it's it wasn't like he had three guys who were taking 
you know, responsibility off his shoulders or anything. Um, you know, so, so that definitely impacted, I think his shooting. I don't necessarily know that he would have been like a 45% three point shooter. That's not what I want to say, but, uh, he is a 78% free throw shooter in spite of, uh, that three point percent. So I think that projects him decently well moving forward. Um, tankathons, uh, projection puts him at about 35 and a half percent, uh, for the NBA. I think that's pretty fair for his early numbers. Um, the big, the big selling point for Book Knight is super explosive first step. Um, you know, good ball handler gets to the rim like crazy. One of the best finishers around the rim. Um, just really, really good at that. And then, you know, you're looking at a guy who's got a lot of tools defensively. Um, he still has questions about him as a playmaker. Uh, only 1.8 assists a game, so not a lot. But he's the kind of guy where his rim pressure is going to generate looks. So even if he's not, um, even if he doesn't have the vision to become a, an elite playmaker or like a, a Devin Booker type shooting guard, he's probably going to get assists just because like he's going to create looks. It's it's kind of similar to like a, well to to like a KCP kind of thing where like KCP coming off the dribble handoff was getting two or three assists to like lob assists to Andre Drummond because he was wide open because KCP is super duper fast and gets to the rim and you got to stop that. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the big thing for book Knight though, is you watch him, he moves well. Uh, he moves off screens off the ball really well. Uh, he shoots off the catch with like a good platform. Like he looks like he should be a decent shooter but it's the it's the first step, the burst athleticism, um, and the and the finishing with either hand that's like the real highlight for James Booknight. Yeah, I mean, I think with Booknight, I mean, he definitely more I think than the other two has the highest ceiling in terms of like he can come out and be like that Donovan Mitchell type where he comes in the NBA and just works his ass off and becomes a phenomenal scorer. I can see that potential there with him. I mean. You, you look at the he put up uh 40 points against Creighton <laughs> like putting up 40 points against a good like college team like Creighton is it's not a joke that's that's not nothing no like it shows that he's kind of got that potential and and sometimes he just doesn't get a chance to show it in college and he'll just bring it out into the NBA so I think in terms of kind of looking between the three I would say Moody is probably the best pos- like the best prospect but Book Knight definitely I think has the highest ceiling if he just puts it all together I think that's. Do you disagree? With I that? think that's pretty fair. Um, yeah. So then the question becomes, you know, what does he project as? So I think like it's pretty reasonable to look at him as someone, again, so much like a KCP, where it's like I can see this guy hitting shots, uh, slowly increasing his three point percentage over time. Hopefully he starts out better than thirty percent. Hopefully the the elbow injury heals up and that that improves. I, I don't dislike his shot in any way. I think his shot looks fine, so it should be okay. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and then it's, can he become, you know, Donovan Mitchell, can he can he start to pressure the rim? Can he start to, to get you towards 20 points a game? And then can that unlock passing for him? Uh, defensively, he is up and down. Uh, he does not have the consistency I want to see there yet, but he moves really well. He's got the tools. Can he lock in defensively? If he does, then you're looking at a guy who's a legit second or third option on a really good team, giving you great minutes in the playoffs. Um, every now and then, 
you'll hear some people give him like Zach Levine comparisons. I don't necessarily know that he's going to be like that kind of shooter and stuff, but you know, he can be that guy who comes in as a decent bench role player who gives you some fun spark minutes and grows into something more and more and more. And in the, uh, I think the, the likelihood of that projection is pretty good. Like, I think, I think it's pretty reasonable expectations for him to, you know, become at least a good baseline defender and become a, um, a better and better scorer. And I think the ceiling will be, I think he's pretty limited as a playmaker. I don't think he's going to be seven assists a game for you ever. So, uh, and then I don't think he's got like the best instincts defensively. So I don't think he's ever going to become the super duper impactful defender, but still, if you're, if you're there at like a, a six to eight range and you know, you need that shooting guard and you need a little bit of athletic pop, I think he's a great option. Yeah, I would, if the Pistons were going to in that like eight to 10 to 12 range and we ended up with, you know, book night, I'd be pretty happy with yeah, that. I, th- I think if you're, he's got... if you're the Pistons and you have Killian Hayes, and book exactly. as a, That's as a it. partnership, yeah, I think you're fine. Yep, those two I feel like would be an interesting kind of backcourt pairing. So I'd be more excited to see, you know, those two play together than like, you know, like Killian and Davian Mitchell, per se. Yes. Like I'd be much more excited with book yes. there. And he, he'd definitely be an athlete like we don't have at the guard position and really <laughs> haven't had at the guard position until this year when like Hami and Josh Jackson came in. I was about to say, but, what about Hami here? Don't but, sleep on Hami. Like he's coming in. Um, like both of those guys are like strong and athletic and like switchable from like two to three. But book Knight comes in with a much more like refined degree of like, he can handle the ball and cross you over and hit you with hesitations. And like he leverages that athleticism and that burst in the way a guard does those guys play like wings and like forwards in a way to me. Mm-hmm. And, yep. um, you know, like I can see book night running, um, like pick and rolls, even, even though he's not a playmaker, even though he's probably not going to give you lots of, lots of corner three assists and stuff out of there. He's the kind of guy you're going to run a, a pick and roll for just cause he's going to blow guy, blow by a guy downhill. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. He would definitely be a fun guy to be in, like, a defensive mismatch. Yeah, like, yeah. He'd be a guy roasting he's, a center. He's, he's hunting switches, all that stuff. Yeah, so I think he's got a good potential for the NBA. So, All right, you ready to move on sure. to our next prospect here? All right, so next, uh, let's go with Keon Johnson. Keon Johnson. Is, Keon Johnson is a 6'5 uh, shooting guard from Tennessee. He played one year with the Volunteers. But a 6'8 wingspan also goes about 190. And he is going to be a shade under 19 and a half, I think, by the time the draft rolls around. Yep. Tankathon really needs to get that updated because it's really throwing me off. <laughs> um, you just got to add a month, yeah, basically, so, from what Tankathon has. Because they, they have it basically as like June 22nd, June 25th is the draft day, and it's actually July. So. It's like decimals. It makes it hard. <laughs> uh, but tell us a little bit about uh, Keon Johnson. So. Like, Book Knight has burst, but Keon Johnson may be, like, the most functionally athletic player in this draft. Um, he's another guy where his, like, shot is a question mark, but unlike Book Knight, he only took about two threes a game, and there's definitely some, like, mechanical issues with the shot. He's got uh, a base <laughs> that changes on him a little bit, and he likes to, like, fade back as he shoots, and there's definitely a two-motion shot thing going on. So there's there's a few more hiccups on the way, 
Um, he's only a 70% free throw shooter. So like that's the, uh, that, that tells you a little more about his touch and stuff. It's not elite, Mm -hmm. but what he, what he is, is like the most fluid athlete around. He has great explosion off the dribble. Um, he's a guy, I I love watching him as he gathers the ball because he's a, a rare player where he explodes through the gather. Like, if he goes through a Euro step, like, a lot of guys use a Euro step to, like, slow down. And Keon Johnson mm-hmm. explodes off both steps to the <laughs> rim and dunks it on you. And you're like, okay, I don't, you don't see that every day. That's the kind of thing yeah. you see from, you like... You don't expect that from your 6'5 shooting No, you guard. see that from, like, a Giannis or something where, like, he'll explode off the last step. And, no, he'll accelerate through a Euro step every now and then. It's, it's really fun. Um... He's a guy who gets crazy blocks from, like, in the lane. Like, not not even, like, transition blocks, like your LeBron transition block. No, he'll be, like, covering a guy coming behind him in the lane in the half court and, like, explode up behind mm-hmm. somebody on some, like, Dwayne Wade type stuff. Like, really impressive, impressive athleticism. Um, and, again, it's, it's really functional. He uses it really well, even though his game is really unrefined at this point you can see in every facet of it where his athleticism is coming through uh, great on ball defender, good instincts, good hands. Uh, he's the guy who does dig down uh, off the wing and make plays on the ball. Um, you know, his floor is set by his defense and his defense is pretty impressive offensively. Again, shots, not great. Um, he did showcase a little more playmaking. I think he actually showcased it more than book Knight did. Um, Especially growing into the season a little later. Uh, he started out mm-hmm. actually coming off the bench for Tennessee. Even though he was a really high prospect, Rick Barnes made him work for it. So he didn't really get um, the big minutes until later on. And like by tournament time, he was playing like 36 minutes a game. And it started out mm-hmm. with like 13. Um, he he does have some like dribble pull-up stuff that he's, he's tried with. Um, the high school guys I've read said basically that was like a late high school development. It wasn't really part of his game. So that's probably why his shots been slow. Um, I, I don't like him quite as much as book Knight just because I think there's a lot more work to do. Um, as far as the skill floor goes, but he's still a fascinating prospect and there's going to be a team that grabs him maybe earlier than you'd think just because that athleticism explodes off the page in the same way like Ahamadou Diallo's athleticism is just extremely obvious to everyone watching. Yep, yeah. I, I would I, I see a lot of kind of Hamadou in him where he is he's got pogo sticks for legs and he's just gonna he's gonna be one of the most athletic guys on the floor no matter who you put him up against. Uh, but that being said he also I mean he's going to be the rawest of the three of these prospects we have pulled up here. He's he's the least NBA ready of any of them. Which the Pistons aren't trying to win anytime soon, so if you know he comes out there and he plays like Bambi for a year and then starts to kind of get it together towards the end of the year like he did in college, then that's good for the Pistons. That's kind of what we're looking for. So yeah, I'd say, I'd uh, say, I would say he's in terms the least of... ready offensively. I do yeah. think there's a case to be made that he's more ready than the other two defensively. Like if I, if I was a playoff team right now, I'd probably rather have Keon Johnson than the other two because I'm pretty sure he could stay on the floor. Yeah. I mean, his aggressiveness in the defensive end, from what I've seen, I mean, that makes that makes me, like, that. that's what you can see right there. You can see it, he's not going to be kind of your standing still, like, 
be in the right place defensive player. He's going to be your guy that just comes out of nowhere and like gets a blindside block. No, like you're talking si- about, similar so. to like a Bruce Brown in his first year with the Pistons. Like he's the guy you put on the floor and is and you're like, just go handle James Harden. You know, go mm-hmm. cover uh, um, Kyrie Irving and just like maybe you don't score. We don't know, but you've got the tools to do it. You've got the the aggression to do it. You know, go make an impact on that end, and we'll figure the offense out later. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, def, def, I think that is underrated as a for for prospects in general in the draft. I think it's underrated to have a defensive skill floor like that. Mm-hmm. But definitely, I think that scares me most about Keon Johnson is kind of that shooting where he shot brutally. He shot twenty seven percent from three and 70% from the free throw line. And as you said, the mechanics weren't great. And it sounds like it's going to take a little while for that to develop into the NBA game. And, I mean, some of these guys go in there, and in a couple years, they're Kawhi Leonard. They're just knocking down threes. And other people just, you know, they never get it right. So that's something that's always such a such a gamble in terms of these draft picks, where you can never really tell how they're going to end up in terms of their shooting form, you know, five years down the road. Um, but if he gets his shot together, I mean, he's got all the talent other than that. You can see it on, you know, watching a quick highlight package of him. You can see what he can do with the ball, what he can do with the ball in his hands when he's, you know, confident and ready, and also what he can do defensively and how, how much of a, t- a tornado he can be yeah, his, on the defensive end of the floor as well. His like dribble driving isn't there yet either. That's that's like the other thing is he's just not got patience as a dribbler. He he's definitely like a two dribble limit guy, for the most part for mm-hmm. me, but. Um, you know, I think that's something yeah. that like separates. Like, I I trust Book Knight, for example, to like dribble through a pick and roll and and handle the ball. Uh, Keon definitely doesn't have that yet, so he's still, um, you know, playing off ball almost exclusively. But yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you think Keon would pair next to Killian? Like, do you think there'd be more problems with that offensively or defensively with the with the two of them? I think defensively it works just fine. You know, both of them are switchable. Yeah. Um, Keon's not huge. Um, I, I look at the six, five listing and I wonder if that's being a little generous to be honest with you, but, uh, <laughs> you know, like if he comes to the combine, he's listed at six, three, it would not surprise me, but he yeah, is he's definitely not a tall one, <laughs> but he, like, he's very strong, very athletic, very switchable in spite of that. He can probably switch onto threes. You know, when you get to like your Jason Tatum size three, it's probably a little too tall for him, but uh, he's got the strong base that'll impact play. So defensively, not a problem. Offensively, it's the same as, you know, Josh Jackson and, and Hami. You're just, you know, there's there's a limit yeah. to what you can do schematically when you have a non-shooter on the floor, and you just, you're not going to be able to trust him as a shooter yet. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a small thing with, with Keon, I feel like as well, is I think he needs to bulk up a little bit. He looks a little like just watching him play. He looks like a little he'll, too skinny. He'll fill to be out a little bit. Ready for the NBA. I think game. I think Which he'll end up do. as like yeah. two ten, two fifteen kind of guy. Yeah. All right. Anything else we want to talk about with Keon? No, I I think he is just the one. You know, we talk about projection and and what does this guy look like? He could be just about anything going forward. I think Avery Bradley is the guy that I kind of think of with him as like this athletic impact defender whose offense goes up and down. Um. You know, I but I do think he's probably got of these three guys, especially the hardest road to achieving any major projection, just because the shot's going to need legitimate work and his dribbles needs legitimate work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's definitely, definitely the biggest be the project. Biggest. I just want to reinforce yeah, exactly. that. Exactly. 
<laughs> yeah, the Pistons get him. Like that kind of reiterates that our timeline is not anytime soon. It's it's definitely down the road. Yeah, so. I, I don't think he makes uh, as much sense for them as uh, yeah uh, either of the other two. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so let's move on to the third prospect, which is going to be Moses Moody, which is the guard out of Arkansas. Really going the SEC today. <laughs> um, he is listed at six six with about a six ten wingspan, which that makes me drool. Um, he's going to be uh, just a hair over 19 by the time the draft comes around. So he's definitely the youngest prospect of the three. Yep. Um, tell me a little bit more about Moses Moody, who I know a lot of people probably saw, you know, in the SEC tournament and as well in the uh, in the NCAA tournament as well. So he is by far the best shooter of the group. Um, he's also the biggest of the group. He is like he is pretty comfortably bigger than the rest of them. Um, he came out of high school, uh, played with Cade Cunningham in high school. Uh, their high school team yeah. was pretty much the most dominant high school team we've ever seen. They were <laughs> monsters. Um, I had imagine. <laughs> he is a really smooth shooter. Uh, shoots well coming off movement. Shoots well uh, off the dribble. Can shoot off like a sidestep dribble in pick and roll. Can shoot off the catch. Um, 81% from the free throw line. 36% from three. Um, he'd probably shoot better, I think, if he wasn't taking as many, like, difficult shots. He was taking a, dip, a good amount of difficult shots. Um, good athlete, not as good as the other two, though. The other two are definitely a, a tier above what he has. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, not really your assist guy, either. That's the that's the other thing to look at, is he's only yeah. about a one and a half assist. That's even less than Book Knight. Um, all three of these guys are pretty mediocre assist to turnover as well. Um, Keon Johnson is, mm-hmm. is also got basically a one to one. I think they're all one to one turnovers. But Moody, I think, yeah. is by far the most off ball player of the three. Definitely the guy that you're going to want to have coming around screens, the guy you're going to want to have coming around dribble handoffs, uh, flowing into catch and shoots. You know, I see him having a similar offensive role to what Sadiq Bey had for the Pistons this year. You know, lots of catch and shoots, maybe growing into a little bit of dribble work later in the season. Um, not a crazy driver by any means, but when he does decide to drive, he draws a lot of, of fouls. Um, mm-hmm. He got about six free throws a game, which is really good. Um, yep, that was one thing I wanted to mention was he really got to the free throw line a lot. So. He he was Especially he was he here. was really your analytical darling because it was it was it's a forty two percent three point attempt rate and a forty eight percent free throw rate, which means that basically he was getting fouled or getting to the line. You know that's that's I think <laughs> it's it does not actually work out to be uh you know forty eight percent plus forty eight plus forty you know it doesn't work out to be like eighty percent of the time that because you can get fouled on three point shots and you know there's overlap there but yeah the, the point is yeah. there's great analytics for for moses moody um daryl is trying to figure out how the 76ers can trade up and get him at this point (laughs) (laughs) so i I think he's kind of the most obvious one where it's just like you have a really young guy with a really good frame who shoots the ball really fluidly who's not uh he may not be a good athlete but he's good enough athlete that you're not concerned about his athleticism uh he does most of the stuff well defensively he is uh, okay, he's a more conservative defender than the other two. Uh, he's certainly not going to do what Keon Johnson does in terms of getting up in your grill and you know eating someone alive. But he'll play mm-hmm. off-ball defense. He makes rotations. I think he's going to be coachable in that regard. Uh, 
So he's he's easily the guy where it's like, yeah, I can just plug and play him, you know, put him in a lineup. I, I know what I'm getting. I don't know that he has the craziest ceiling compared to the other two just because I don't know if he's going to pressure the rim in quite the same way off the dribble. But mm-hmm. he's probably the best accessory piece of the three in terms of just someone who you trust to come in and get, you know, easy buckets, especially coming off and playing next to a star. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of like a... Who did, I, who did I say it was? He reminds me of like a bigger but less polished Buddy Heald. That's kind of what is kind of the game that I saw. Yeah, I, can, I don't know. I, if, I don't know if you're gonna agree with that comparison. Yeah. Uh, I think Buddy was more aggressive than Moody ever is, and I don't know necessarily yeah. well, how. Yeah, Buddy in college was. Um, Buddy in college was like the superstar going for the the same that Trey Young after him. So and that that was kind but, of an interesting thing for Moody this season was when they got to the tournament. There was a lot of talk about like how he didn't perform because he didn't really step up in the tournament, and they kind of bowed out a little. Uh, Tip more timidly than people thought Arkansas was going to do, but I mean they lost to Baylor, so <laughs> I don't know what you want from them. It, well, heard, and, and yes. he personally didn't have the game I think people yeah. expected. You know, he didn't have the thirty-five point tournament. You know, here I am game. You know, he ended his yeah, season he... on fifteen, fourteen, and eleven points on mediocre efficiency on all those games. So. Yeah, you know, he didn't really uh, light the world on fire in the no, tournament. That's no, sure. his his Oral Roberts performance, especially four of twenty, um, got to the line Oof. seven times. But you know that's not a good game. Zero assists as well. So that was a game where clearly he was trying to force it and didn't have it. But that that's where you see you know you play him next to a Cade Cunningham and he's going to look awesome and he's going to do a lot of good things. And if you ask him to be Brad Beal, you might be you know. In for a little bit of disappointment. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't see that in this future. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so I think that's about all I have for Moody. Was okay. there anything else you were looking for? I mean, not really. I think you know we we kind of set it off the top. If you want a kind of quick summary of him, I think Book Knight, in terms of his you know his offensive, just something about him screams that he's got the highest in terms of realistic ceiling. Keon Johnson looks like a prospect. He's going to take a lot. He's going to be a project. He's going to take some time to develop, but he could also easily be the best, um, you know, player of the three. And Moses Moody looks like the most complete product coming in. He's got the size. He's got kind of the, I, the like scoring reputation in college, but it. He also seems like the safe pick a little bit compared to the other two as well. So there's a lot of a lot of different different. Different. I can't say it. Differentiation, differences between the three, which is a simple word. Um, so it kind of depends on who you're kind of looking for and what you kind of want in that you know two guard to play alongside Killian Hayes. So yeah, for, it's a lot of uh, yeah. They're very different archetypes, right? And I I think we you said it for me. Book Knight's just like the one that has the most self creation ability, and I think that's probably mm-hmm. what. Uh, I'm looking for most right now. Um, and Keon Johnson is probably the biggest prospect with maybe the most nebulous but highest possible ceiling, just fluid athleticism. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to target Moses Moody as like the guy that the Pistons should go for. I I think that's just kind of playing it safe, and I don't know that the Pistons exactly, need yep. to play it safe, especially now if you're uh, in the lottery and you don't know how many more lottery years you have left. Um, 
you know, I for me, I, w- I would definitely go Book Night, probably then Moody, probably then Johnson, just because I don't know that we need another. If if we didn't have Hami on the roster, yeah, I would exactly. probably take Johnson over Moody just for the experiment's sake. But yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now. Is I, I'd go Book Night, then Moody, then Johnson, um, and just really yeah, no, really I prioritize agree. Book and... Knight's ability to to get to the rim and and create for himself. Yeah, I, I would agree with kind of that assessment. I think Keon Johnson, like you said, if we didn't have Hami, like they their skills seem like they overlap a lot, and getting another like long term prospect guard might be a bit much, even for the Pistons who aren't looking to contend anytime soon. But I think Booknight and Moody can definitely be the two that I can just see them fitting next to Killian in two very different ways. But I could see them very easily fitting next to him. In terms of a future game, I see they're both they're both you know, players Knight. where you can very easily see like the jersey in your head, and you're like, oh, I, yeah, <laughs> like that, yeah, sure, he looks like a piston, and it, you know, I think the logic kind of works itself out pretty quickly for those guys. Exactly. So, Booknight, I think, would be the more kind of if you're looking for a more, I guess, aggressive scorer of the two, someone who you think can handle the ball a little bit more, take a bit of a bit more of a load off of Killian, and then probably go with Booknight if you're looking for someone who's you know, going to be kind of less of a ball handler, less of a scorer, go with the Moses Moody. Like, I, I think have last year the Moody Pistons might have, might have prioritized Moody. You know, if you're looking at, like, how do we make the best use of, like, a, another year of Blake Griffin, you know, if you're still in that mindset, I think you're probably looking at Moody more than you are Book Knight. Yeah. But I think right now it's it's pretty clear that you go for the guy who's got maybe a little more oomph to him. Mm-hmm. All right. Nope, I think we're in agreement on that. I think we can wrap it up there. Uh, I'm going to put out a Twitter poll for who we do next Here week. Here we go. Uh, so you have either the Weird Wings, which will be Jalen Johnson, Beautiful. Jonathan Kaminga, and Scotty Barnes, or you have Point of Contention, Jared Butler, Josh Giddy, and Sharif Cooper, your playmakers. Uh, so Oof. we'll put out the, uh, the, the poll, and hopefully you guys respond, and we get a couple answers, and we'll pick one for next week. Hopefully you all respond fast enough that I have some time to actually prep it for next week. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll see how much we get on that. I am excited to talk about um, Josh Giddy, who's freaking six eight in Australian. Yeah, he's, I love he's it. A fun one. I, he's he's another. I, one I'm excited to see that. He's in Australia. I I, haven't, I wasn't able to watch obviously as many of his games, so this will be uh, a week or two. The other guy, the other five guys, I've got a pretty good handle on. So this might be the the week I dive deep in Josh Goody no matter what the poll says I want Jake to come in with an Australian accent to the next pod no, then if we get the point no, of contention no, you don't you don't I want, I want to hear the attempt you don't mate <laughs> that's rough yeah all right we on that will... note thank you guys for joining us again and we will talk to you guys and see you next week goodbye bye now Today's music was made by Blank and Kit. You can find a link to their music in the description.